Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Welcome to tonight's edition of the program. We know that there have been sudden attacks on Ghana's neighboring countries like Burkina Faso. We also know about Mali from extremist groups. Although Ghana has not experienced any extremist attacks, measures ought to be put in place to prevent any such invasion. We all agree. Well, in February 2023, Joy News, we know, reported on the influx of about 4,000 displaced persons from Burkina Faso into Ghana's border regions due to the jihadist attacks in their country. Uh, what has happened to these persons are key questions. These and more raises concerns about a perceived level of insecurity among the people in the northern border regions of Ghana. Well, this could further serve as a threat to the peace of the nation, especially as we prepare for election 2024, not forgetting the ethnic and chieftaincy crisis that exists in parts of the country. Tonight, we are focusing on that baseline study conducted by the National Commission for Civic Education, NCCE. We are taking a look at that baseline study. That's the tone for us to talk about violent extremism in the country. We're live on Joy News. We are also on Joy 99.7 FM for our radio audience, also on DSTV. Channel 421, you can catch us live on GoTV's 144. We're also on YouTube, you're on my and all our social media platforms. You can join the discussion from wherever you are. My guest tonight, Dr. Henrietta Asante Sapong. She's a director of research, gender inequality at the National Commission for Civic Education, NCCE. And later on, I'll be having Dr. Festus Kofiobing, head of research and capacity building, West Africa Network for Peace Building, WANEP, joining me, and also Dr. Victor Doke, lecturer, Kofiana International Peacekeeping Training Center. We'll have them make some inputs um, as we go along the line. But um, this is a good time to just um, start talking. We, this is a lot, so we won't waste any more time. Let's just go into it. Good evening, Dr. Asadisapong. We're grateful for your time. Well, I must say this is an extensive work um, that has been done by the NCCE, uh, let's start off uh, first by knowing what really necessitated this particular baseline study. Okay. Thank you very much. Let me say good evening to your viewers. The NCC is presently implementing a project dubbed uh, Preventing and Containing Violent Extremism mm -hmm. in Ghana. And as part of the design of this project, we wanted to come up with empirical data on the situation as it is in the project regions in particular, the gaps that exist, mm. and then we will be able to chart the necessary path in terms of educating Ghanaians on what they need to know and what they need to do to avert the situation. Okay, so I know this was um, this study was conducted in eight regions. Yes, at the northern part of the country. Uh, why eight regions? Why just selected eight? Okay. We have to do the study in the project areas. Mm. The project areas are the five northern regions okay. and the three regions bordering the five, okay. which is OT, uh, northeast, and then uh, Buno and Buno East, okay. together with the five northern regions. So it was primarily undertaken in the areas where the PCVE project has been implemented. Mm. Well, we're going to uh, the findings and um, some of the recommendations but largely, um, since you led this particular team in conducting this study, how, how daunting was the task, you say? Certainly, uh, as it is with every research work, it, a lot goes into carrying out uh, any study of this nature. Mm. We had to employ both uh, quantitative and qualitative techniques. Okay. We had to try and work within a period of about two to three months to get this work done. So it, it's a very rigorous one. We had to try and work within time, but it was very good because we had to use both qualitative and quantitative studies. If we go into the scope, we had to go into 59 districts in these eight regions, and we have to 
reach uh, about thousand. We have to reach thousand three hundred thirty-one mm. respondents, as well as institutions. So in the institutions, we have to speak to senior level officers in these institutions, and these institutions were primarily state okay. institutions, being uh, being security agencies. We also had to speak to civil society organizations. We had to speak to media, mm. and then also religious and traditional authorities. So it was very broad, very extensive, very daunting, as you have indicated, but mm-hmm. we were able to work within time. Okay. So within a period of three months, over 1,000 uh, respondents. So you've yeah. been talking about the scope as well. We'll get into the findings, but really, we've um, been looking at um, some of the recommendations, for instance, and knowing that certain families that um, you interacted are ready uh, to allow their family members to be part of, you know, violent extremist groups amongst others, really. But generally, we'll get into that particular one. Generally, what was the response when it comes to violent extremism in Ghana? Okay, generally, uh, people are... I mean, we have... uh, We have to face of our primary respondents, that is the community members, Mm. aware of what the subject is all about. We also realized that indeed people would want to appreciate and understand our risk to this menace. Mm -hmm. People would want to have further and deeper understanding of how to manage or protect themselves from these extremists. Mm -hmm. So both institutions and individuals are ready and eager to ensure that this menace doesn't get to us as a country. Interesting. So then um, I, I, you've been asking them and um, they tell you that I was talking about the families wanting yes. or going to allow uh, their family members to be part of these groups. What, what really were the reasons? Let's talk about this particular finding. For yes, yes. Out of the 1,351 individuals I talked about, we had 11 of them actually, mm. comprising 0.8%, indicating that they were going to encourage a family member or a friend to join an extremist group. And the number one reason was economic. Mm. In fact, there are people who have uh, stayed home after so many years of uh, completing school or after learning a trade and have nothing to do. Okay. And they feel that if this is the, the, the option, the only option available, why would they not allow a family member or a friend mm. to, to, I mean, to join this extremist group? Whatever they are offering, it's, a bit, it's, it's lucrative. Literature mm-hmm. has shown that. So they are ready. Even though they themselves are not ready to go into it, they don't mind encouraging somebody who wants to go into, into this uh, act. Do these people include women, those 11? That yes, we had, there were six males and then five females. So mm-hmm. we have five women in our country who are ready to support a family member to join extremist groups. Do they understand how dire the situation is yes, when it that, comes to violent extremism? That, that is where NCC's work comes in okay. because uh, they are looking more at the, the lucrative part. Of course, they know that it's risky, but if, if the person is not dead, the person can support the family in one way or the other. So, yes, a lot needs to be done in terms of getting people to have a better appreciation of uh, the consequences of extremist attacks on a nation. Hmm. That's, uh, that's quite startling, I, I should say. But um, this particular threat of violent extremism, um, let's talk about the, really the potential in this country, this um, violent extremism. There are those who feel that this is very far away from us. This is a discussion that um, people just want to avoid because this is not a sensational thing, but they feel that it's really far away from us. Is this really close? I think lately, within the past uh, year, and in fact, even yesterday, just yesterday, uh, there was a news item of uh, uh, in Burkina Faso where some soldiers have been, have been killed by potential extremists. And within the past year, we, we hear our stories every time. You mentioned the February one, which mm-hmm. we also cited in our report. So... Since Burkina is our closest and, 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 and our next door neighbor, and we have had some individuals moving into our country to seek refuge, it is close, very close to us. And we are hearing about it this time, is, if not on a, on a fortnightly basis, it's on a monthly basis. And we know that security agencies are doing some work towards ensuring that 
we don't get to the point where these extremists get to us. So it is, it is very close to us now. Mm. Once we have had uh, our, our neighbors seeking refuge within our borders and the situation still persists, it is one that requires urgent attention. Mm. We've talked about just uh, one finding, for instance, which is the one that um, families are actually prepared because of the economic conditions. Yes. I'm told that these extremist groups are paying as, mu as much as um, $600 amongst others yes. uh, for people to join. Uh, you have been on the ground, so you tell us what exactly people have been saying. But let's talk about the other um, findings, because this is as serious as it is. But let's talk about the other findings that um, your team were able to okay. uncover. So, so this study had three major objectives. Mm -hmm. The first one, we wanted to have an understanding of what people know about, even the subject that we are looking at, or okay. knowledge. And so, like I indicated earlier, we had two-thirds of our community members aware, one-third, not, 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 really, uh, not aware, not mm. aware, and they really need to know. The institutions are doing better because, of course, on a day-to-day -day basis, their work is related to security and uh, averting uh, some of these threats. We also looked at attitudes. And the point that we just discussed is one that, that is also related to the attitudes. Mm -hmm. But we also looked at the issue of behaviors and how people tolerate each other. Okay. Because this extremist literature has again shown that they thrive in areas where there is chaos. So we wanted to find out the extent to which people are ready to coexist and live in peace with their neighbors. If we are living in peace and we are one, mm -hmm. when we have an outsider coming in, we are able to easily detect the outsider and ensure that, uh, I mean, they are not able to penetrate. And the, the feedback was positive. We had 88% uh, of our respondents ready to coexist and live peacefully with individuals of different uh, ethnic, okay. political, religious uh, backgrounds. In this is you had them in all eight regions. In all eight regions. Okay. And the percentages were were within the region of eighty okay. and above across okay. all these regions. We actually had OT region being the we said they are the most tolerant. Mm. The statistics that came up. That is the most tolerant uh, region in terms of living together. And we thought it is necessary. In as much as we had we had we have high tolerance among ourselves. For NCC our education is going to focus on the need for us to be vigilant, even in our tolerance. Okay. Because it's a positive one, but it can also be negative. Very hospitable, mm -hmm. very accommodating. What is its implications? So that was on the, on the attitude and the tolerance level. We also looked at the role of state and non-state institutions mm -hmm. in this fight. So the security agencies, we visited them. The Ghana Police Service, the Ghana Immigration Service, the Customs Division of the GRA, uh, among others. And again, we wanted to have an appreciation of uh, what they are doing, but primarily related to uh, border security. And a lot of work is, is, is ongoing. They are collaborating. But of course, we all know about uh, the challenges that we have, mm -hmm. constraints related to logistics and uh, and the use of technology in particular it came up in almost every uh, agency that we visited. That this time we need to, we need to adopt very robust technolo technological approaches in the fight. Okay. And we are not there yet. We need to be working with drones. We need to be working with the needed apparatus. And it's one area it that, that mm. is missing. Aside the usual, uh, no vehicles, fuel, <laughs> sometimes even the, the staff the number of uh, persons who have to be on their ground. But some work is going on because I think now most agencies are realizing that this is an issue that requires some level of attention. Okay. The CSS are also working. We have our religious and traditional authorities also working, both, the, both from the uh, Christian religion and then from the Islam awesome. religion. We have all of them having in place units and committees and working towards ensuring that there's a lot of education within these religious sects as well, mm. especially regarding living in peace and then also being vigilant. For CSOs, they are on the ground. A number of them are also educating the public mm. as uh, NCCs also. Okay, so then that's interesting at least, but we'll get, you, you are yet to get into some of the conclusions um, that um, you, you made from this, but... Uh, it's interesting that there's tolerance um, and then there's the involvement of state and non-state actors yes. in all this. But really, um, we are concerned about what you found, for instance, in 
uh, parts that are conflict stricken. Mm -hmm. um, for instance, yes. we talk about Boko amongst yes. others. Yes. Really, what did the people say? I don't know if um, you had people from there that you sampled as well. Oh, yes. Because chieftaincy concerns have been raised, which yes. can fuel yes. these violent extremist yes. activities. Yes, I think yes, that, that aspect was also uh, investigated in this study. And I think, uh, not, I think around the time that we were collecting our data, mm -hmm. there was this issue uh, at Boko. Okay. The, the, there was conflict. Uh, among some ethnic ethnic groups, mm -hmm. and our concern was the fact that it was associated with violence, mm -hmm. conflicts. Uh, it's not a positive thing that they can okay, but where there's mediation and it doesn't lead to any form of conflict. So for the upper east, upper east, and then the north east regions east. in mm -hmm. particular, we really need to be looking at issues of uh, chieftaincy disputes and factions, and then land. Uh, Disputes. Mm -hmm. They were more prominent within the Upper East and the, and the Upper West regions, especially around the time of the study. And they come with violence. And again, like I said earlier, extremists can take advantage, advantage of, of these uh, grounds to operate. So it's one area that also need, needs a lot of attention when it comes to addressing this menace, mm -hmm. trying to see to how ingrown conflict is, is adequately addressed towards ensuring that extremists or these uh, violent groups cannot thrive using these avenues. I know you dealt with informants as well. We are itching to know, did they give you a sense of, uh, you know, that they are, this is a, a conflict that they are willing to do without, or it is the case that nothing can stop it? Okay, the, the, the feedback we received mm -hmm. was from the institutions, okay. but not uh, the, individuals. the individuals within these areas. Okay. But certainly, the institutions represent the people. Mm -hmm. So if you speak to a rep of uh, the chief imam, or mm -hmm. you speak to uh, the National House of Chiefs representative, you get a sense of the fact that, yes, these institutions are ready, mm -hmm. and they are working very hard towards ensuring that peace and calm is seen in these areas. Okay. Well, let's get into um, the other conclusions. At least we'll have some security analysts also joining us. So we take a look at some of the findings and the conclusions from this particular baseline PCVE um, report that's been put together by NCC. So we'll go through uh, some of the conclusions uh, from this uh, particular study. Mm -hmm. You've gone through a few of them. Maybe we'll go through it and then the recommendations that um, has been made by the NCC. So... Uh, for our key conclusions, NCC, we, what we do best is to get the people to have an understanding of their rights, issues pertaining to their existence. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the issue of getting every citizen in our country, yeah. that is every citizen of our country to have an understanding of what violent extremism is, is one that is key. Mm -hmm. Once we found a gap in what people know about the, the, the menace, what people know about its manifestation, what people know about its dangers, what people know about its risk factors, we need to get down to the ground and ensure that indeed everyone is alert. Mm -hmm. We are also hammering on the need to get people to have a better understanding of, particularly the, the, the risk, because people do not have a good, a good appreciation of, I mean, what it, it is like okay. in reality when one, one is exposed to these extremists. Mm. Again, like I said earlier, we also want to get people to have a good sense of how states and non-states actors are also working. Mm. Was, was that impressive from what you gathered? It, 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 it wasn't impressive because I think by the nature of uh, particularly our security agencies, they are not too much exposed to the public. And so for, for, from the study, we realized that their participation or involvement and even understanding of what the, the services are doing was very low. Okay. But they need to know, of, for example, where do you go and report a, a particular scene or situation in your in your jurisdiction too, when you happen to find a strange person. So the issue of getting people to have an understanding of what to do okay. in the event that 
they see strange characters or strange be- uh, behaviors are among them is critical. Did you get a sense that they knew? No, most no, people no. didn't know. Most people, most people didn't know about where. I mean, who, how how different the work of Ghana Immigration Service is, for example, mm. from let's say uh, GRA of Cust- uh, of Customs Division of the GRA. And so it's one area that we we are also going out to get people to know about what institutions are really doing mm. and how they can leverage on that. Again, we are also going to work very closely in terms of our conclusions. We really okay. need to work closely with these key institutions. This report that we have produced is not for NCC only. Mm-hmm. A whole chapter is dedicated to uh, institutions and their role, what the gaps are, and how they can get citizens to appreciate their work, okay. and what more should be done in terms of policy to strengthen these institutions. For the Ghana Immigration Service, for instance, um, what are the gaps and what ought to be done? It, the, first, the first one is about people getting to know about what they do in okay. terms of addressing the menace. Okay. Again, the issue of getting them the needed resources mm-hmm. is a gap. Okay. Like the other security agencies, they also need to have their vehicles, they need to have uh, motorbikes where necessary, they need, to be, they, they need to be adequately resourced in terms of providing the necessary services. Intelligence gathering requires a lot, and there's a gap in that service, and, and it's the same for all other uh, mm. institutions. How about the porous nature of our borders? Well, yes. that's one thing that you noticed yes. uh, during this report, and, and what did people say about it? It, it, it has always been an issue. In mm-hmm. 2021, we had a similar study which looked at, the, which looked at uh, people's risk to this menace. And the issue of porous borders came second. And mm-hmm. we all know that even though we are, we are trying to, to address the, the issue, we are going manual, which, which, may not, which may not be the best, because you have uh, a number of posts along our borders. It is still like that. And you mm-hmm. have individuals, you have human beings there. How many people can be posted at a, a particular border to man the place? Over, uh, over so many days. Mm. And so we, we need to put in place measures that goes beyond having only the police officers. Some are there, they may not have the, the, the motorbikes. In terms of coverage, and I mean, they are rich. Okay. If, if, if one is posted at a particular place and the distance between that person and wherever an issue happens is so far, it means that, I mean, anything can happen at any time and we will not be able to. So the use of technology is critical. It came mm-hmm. up everywhere. Mm-hmm. And for our borders, we would need to put in place possible and, 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 and workable strategies and not totally rely on having human beings at uh, these places. It is working, but they need to do. Security agencies requires that. Mm-hmm. I mean, we do more in terms of getting these borders. Well, that's interesting. Um, You'll get to go through uh, the rest because we haven't gone through all. I I know there are cases for disability, uh, people with disabilities amongst others. That's also contained in there from what I've seen Mm -hmm. uh, so far. The facility is not being friendly for them amongst others. But let me uh, briefly bring in uh, our guests also on Zoom uh, for some quick contributions also to uh, what uh, we've, we've seen so far and heard uh, from the NCCE so far. Let me uh, introduce um, Dr. Victor Doke, is a lecturer at the Kofi Annan International Peacekeeping Training Center. We also have um, the head of research and capacity building at OneEP, uh, Dr. Festus Kofiobing, also joining us via Zoom. Thank you very much, gentlemen, uh, for joining us uh, here on the probe uh, tonight. Well, I'll start with you, Dr. Festus Obing, because I know that you did some validation for this uh, particular study uh, by the NCCE. What for you, you would say, was startling in this report that stood out for you that attention should be paid to? You'd have to unmute. Thank you very very much um, for the invitation and good evening to your viewers and your listeners. And also let me congratulate Dr. Henrietta and her team for producing such a comprehensive uh, baseline study. Okay. I think if you look at all the institutions fighting the issue of violent extremism in Ghana, it's the NCC that has been able to produce such a comprehensive report which will uh, inform policy decisions and the actions of all the actors who are involved in this fight. Mm. 
I think for me, um, going through the report, one of the issues that was quite, um, I won't say it is surprising for me because of the work I've done in other countries as well, but to have people in Ghana who are willing to mm -hmm. encourage their um, uh, family members or relatives to join extremist groups, I think is, is, is a problem that we need to critically because um, um, in fighting this threat, we need the support of citizens. We need the support of communities. Therefore, if you have a section of the population who are willing to provide the support for these groups, even in terms of uh, providing uh, militants for these groups, I think that is a, is a problem that we uh, look at because um, it doesn't augur well for the whole of community approach that we uh, Ghana, I mean, policy on countering and preventing violence to uh, achieve. And so for me, that was one major finding, I think, we need to pay much attention. There are others, but I'm sure as we move along. Okay. We'll get into that, but it, it appears that the sound keeps wavering for Dr. Fessor Sobing. But let me bring in you, uh, Dr. Doke. So you have also um, taken a bit of a look at it. For me, uh, like uh, Dr. Fessor Sobing said, once I saw that people were willing uh, to, you know, allow their family members uh, to be part of violent extremism, at least he raised the concern for us in the newsroom, for which reason we decided to focus really on this particular report and educate the public on this. What then does this, when we see this, we hear at least maybe 11 people, some may say very insignificant, but what does it do to our fight against, at least we have a campaign, see something, say something amongst others, but if we have people who are willing to allow their close family members to be part of this, what does it do to the entire campaign of preventing violent extremism in Ghana and what can be done? Thank you very much, Amifa. And then I say hello to Dr. Sapon and Festus. Nice to see you again. Well, going straight to your question, what it does to the aspect of fighting violent extremism is we need to take a look at our approaches, i.e. the preventive approaches. Now, when you have um, cases where family members are willing to allow or use individuals who are willing to join these groups. And that tells you what we need to do as state institutions, stakeholders, CSOs, and the community at large. Now you have discontent among some people. You have issues about high unemployment. You have issues bothering about justice for are not seeking enough in terms of they've not gotten the justice. Now when you look at the conflicts that we have, having violent armed and elsewhere, you get to know the sense that these youths are always active in war. Mm. How do we ensure that these youths do not engage or involve themselves in these art groups? Now, with regards to the preventive approach, yes, mm. a lot of work has been done, i.e., what we've seen from NCCE, and then last year also, uh, Prof. Aiden and uh, Amateur Talk 2002 produced a similar report. Categorically, we need to focus and look at our preventive modalities. What we need to do, how do we need to ensure that ones that are already existing or being implemented are looked at, evaluating and monitoring to ensure that we get a system right. The framework that has been introduced or implemented, how are the state agents implementing these modalities with regards to the framework? So when you have groups willing to join these armed groups, then it tells you how the threat is real and we have to take no chance when it comes to uh, factors, structural inequalities that will enable these young men to go and join these armed groups. Well, they cite economic conditions uh, from what um, we've seen. No matter how bad the situation is, Economic conditions, a good a reason for people to want to join violent extremist groups? Yes, and the fact, 
you've mentioned earlier on, now uh, Dr. Safon also mentioned, that you have someone who has completed uni since 2002 and hasn't gotten a job. Uh, the person circulates a CV, whatever, and is being told there are no opportunities. Now you have someone come in, or let's imagine a group of friends. Now some of them send their CVs, and one person out of that gets a job, out of probably due to the fact that his or relative is part of the recruitment process or whatever. Now that sends some kind of discontent or Person becomes aggrieved. Now, till date, we haven't gotten a very effective and efficient strategic framework for, let me say, the national development agenda when it comes to unemployment. Mm-hmm. And we need to look at that angle because that alone can solve a whole lot of issues. Now, when you have jobs created for the Jews, then nobody will want to join. The material gain that comes with it, because these arm groups also offer a lot yeah. when it comes to material uh, aspects. So it's on a normal level when you see or hear these youths wanting to join these arm groups just to make ends meet. Hmm. Well, Doctor Ring, before I come to the studio, I was asking uh, Doctor Doke earlier whether, um, no matter how bad the situation is, at least he's been talking about the unemployment situation amongst others. You've been dealing also extensively across Africa amongst others on this. Um, do you think if people say this is just some flimsy excuses that they are giving, or really is, is really a, a situation that ought to be dealt with? Well, I think it's a it's a rare situation that needs to be dealt with because. Um, if you look at Nigeria, um, if you look at Mali, look at Niger, you look at Kenya, you will find these reasons being provided by the youth. Okay. Why they joined Al Shabaab, they joined the NIM, they joined the ISS. Well, if you look at almost all the areas where we have violent extremism, one of the key reasons why people join this group is the issue of lack of economic opportunities. And World Bank report has actually affirmed this uh, particular reason that people are hopeless, they have no other alternatives. The only alternative that they have is the employment opportunities and the particular gains that they get from joining. I remember there was a a time in Kenya where Ashabab was paying as high as almost $1,000 for somebody to join this group. Just to join. uh, Just to join. Mm. You ask yourself, people who uh, even get employment in the public sector, how much are they being paid in a month? And if these groups are able to provide that kind of whether being a militant or facilitating uh, organized crime activities, getting this material when you have no other alternative, certainly any rational human being will go for, for this. And let me also make this point that if you look at all the communities that have been affected by being, it is not all the people who see this violent extremists or terrorist groups. Okay. Some of them see them in a different way, like jihadist groups. But when you go to Mali, for example, the community, some of the communities are providing uh, a space for these groups to operate in their community, providing social services, all those families uh, and education and all that. Because for them, those are organizations that are providing support to when the state has not even been able to provide those welfare needs. So we need to also look at how the people perceive these groups, whether as terrorists or violent extremists, as we perceive them to be. But some of those groups also don't see themselves as terrorists or violent extremists. Okay. Look at the reasons that why they are doing what they do. So we need to look at the issue of 
deal with the core issue of getting the youth engaged in some economic that will prevent them from joining. Mm. Well, well, there's also a key issue, at least uh, in there. Maybe I'll do, uh, do because earlier uh, Dr. Sapon mentioned it, the issue about uh, the porosity of our borders and um, employing the use of modding and innovative technologies. That's uh, point six of their recommendation. Look, this issue about our porous borders is one thing that uh, we've been talking about for years now. As far as I can remember, we are always talking about our porous borders. How then, if we are not strengthening our borders, the porosity or the porous nature of these borders, how then are we hoping to be able to win uh, this fight or prevent uh, violent extremism in this country? Are we really serious about prevention? If we are not tightening security uh, at our borders. No, is that okay? Sorry. Um, hmm. about the borders, yes. Now, a clear example is when recently we had the influx of asylum seekers from Burkina. Mm-hmm. How long did it take our state institutions to respond? What were the measures that were implemented? I.e., did the GRB, Canada Refugee Board, initiate screening processes to identify probably if any of these members have been engaged in any armed before? Now, these are just some few examples. We already know how weapons are coming in in our borders where we don't have scanners. We have routes where even state security personnel cannot even attend to because it's not more trouble. We need to look at all these and then strengthen our borders, the patrol equipment, i.e. Dr. Sapo mentioned about drones. We yeah. need all these capacity building training so we can handle these issues. Now, when you have asylum seekers coming in, we need four state institutions to then pick up intelligence that these groups are in, and it has an order world for the state security. I, we are talking about violent extremism. So, going forward, we need to look at how best we can have effective systems that can track people coming in and then have a better screening process so we can identify these people early enough before it gets too late. Mm-hmm. But, but uh, Dr. Abeng, I don't know uh, about you. We've been talking about uh, porous borders uh, for some time now. We actually even had a documentary on it here at Joy News about um, our porous borders that Gifty and Rapia led, for instance. Do you get the sense that we are ready to do anything about that situation or it's just a difficulty, something we can't tackle but to just deal with? How then do we win this fight? All right. Thank you very much. I think that when it comes to border issues, the issues are not restricted the U.S. is mm. And that is why when it comes to trade like this, it's important for international cooperation. Ghana, through our president, spearheaded uh, the Accra Initiative, which is for the coastal countries. Doc, we seem to be having uh, some challenge with your sound at some point. If you could, could go close a bit to it and increase the volume a bit so we can hear. I think we can hear. Yes, we'll try again and see because we oh, keep losing you. Is, is it better now? Much, much better. Well, yeah, the network is a bit better. I can understand. <laughs> so what I was saying was that um, when it comes to porous borders, it's a difficulty, not only for African countries, at the continent. Mm. And that is why it is important that when it comes to issues transnational in nature, deal with it through international cooperation, cooperating with other countries, especially your neighboring countries, to deal with the threats. Um, so Ghana, through the Accra Initiative, has been working with the border and neighboring countries, Togo, Burkina, Cote d'Ivoire, Benin, Look at the international dimension of the threat from okay. these respective countries. So I don't think that from not from the medium to long term it is easy to deal with these porous borders. Because if you go to some of our borders and you see the makeup, there are some places where even half of the town is another country. But so it's quite difficult dealing with these threats. 
and that is why international cooperation is very important. The other issue is also collaborating with other communities. It's very important. How do you bring the border communities in the fight against terrorism? Because they are the first point, first point of entry into the country. And like Dr. Sapon said, I mean, the security agencies cannot be everywhere. In this country, we have a lot of border points that are not controlled by the security agencies. And those are the places where we have all this. Mm. So how do you also engage the border communities in the fight against violence? It's very key okay. in terms of approach. Mm. Okay. Well, let me come uh, to the studio, Doc. So uh, at least there have been contributions to some of the, uh, you know, the recommendations and, and the findings as well. I see one key one, which is um, we've been with Dr. Doc here on the probe, we've talked about the chieftains of disputes and um, the potential threats that it, it, it creates when it comes to uh, the activities of violent extremists. You've been tackling it as well. I see that you want us to seriously tackle chieftains of disputes yes. in the country. Tell us more about how we arrived at this particular uh, you know, recommendation that you've put out there. Yes, I think as uh, indicated earlier, when we, we went to the field, we wanted to understand the triggers better. Okay. And the issue of uh, chieftaincy disputes came up. Of course, when, as, as at the time we were carrying out the study, there was an issue in Boko. Yeah. And so it came up. And so did it, was it that it was in all the eight regions that you studied or there were some the, the, regions that the, came up tops when the, it comes the to The upper east and the okay. northeast regions were the regions okay. that were more prominent when it comes to this, yeah, this issue. Okay. But I think going forward... A lot is being done, but we, we, we also think that the institutional uh, collaboration and getting our chieftaincy institution playing a, a, a leading role in ensuring that we address this issue is very critical. Mm. And I think I also want to agree with my colleagues that we, should, we are going to the point where we need to appreciate communities' involvement mm -hmm. because it's about the people. And it's about their culture, and it's about their understanding what is right and what is wrong. Mm -hmm. And so as a way forward, we really need to ensure that community participation is critical, especially when it's, it's associated with violence. And in these cases, it comes with violence, and we need the people to understand alternative ways of addressing these issues mm -hmm. so that we ensure that chief sensitive dispute is not one that extremists can thrive on and then get uh, a way out of whatever they want to do in our country. Do you get a sense that they are already thriving? Because I've heard some say that uh, potentially they could be here with us and um, taking advantage of certain situations like this, like the chieftaincy disputes, amongst others that you've talked about. Do you get that sense whilst you're on the ground? Certainly, certainly. One, one is unable to tell who, who it a, is. an extremist mm -hmm. is by appearance. Mm -hmm. But that speculation is, is, is there because, I mean, we had reports from some of our respondents indicating acts that they suspected to be one that could be associated or related to extremists. Okay. So one comes in to blow an alarm in, in, a, in a community. This person is in. The person has been staying here for this time. Mm. They, they move out in the night. They go with motorbikes and here and there. And they, they also suspect that these could be extremists. Just mm -hmm. that the situation hasn't gotten so bad in our, within our context for us to conclude and say that extremists are here yet. But there is that speculation. And people are suspicious when it comes to people who come in and then particularly they operate within the evenings or the nights and they move about and you are not able to tell mm -hmm. I mean, exactly what they are really doing. Okay. Well, thankfully, uh, Dr. Doke is with us. He and has done extensive work in the region that you mentioned, the Upper East region, especially the Boko situation. I don't know if he's done some work on the Northeast as well. But, Doc, uh, the issue about chieftaincy disputes, this particular concern, at least we've raised it here before uh, with you here on the show, and then the community involvement. I think we should first tackle this issue uh, about the chieftaincy um, disputes and the other forms of conflict that has a potential to bring in these activities of violent extremists into the country. You've seen uh, portions of this report on this, tackling this particular issue. 
Is it really a fight that we are able to win? We've been talking about it for some time now. Are we doing enough to be able to curtail it? Unfortunately, to be honest, we as a state or state institutions have not been doing enough. Now, you have a situation that dynamics changing almost every time. Recently, what happened in Nairobi has really changed the dynamics of the local conflict. But at any point in time, it can explode. The situation in Boko now is just on hibernation, mm-hmm. waiting to see what happens next. Now, you have these institutions, you have all stakeholders, NPC, National Peace Council, the security agencies moving in. You have prominent people also going in to talk to these factions. Now, what has been done with regards to resolution? We tend to focus more on just the short term. The long term, we don't have a sustained engagement in resolving this particular issue. And that alone is a big threat. Anything can happen, either side can employ these groups to fight for their behalf. And going forward, how are we going to ensure that we have you know, a process that tabulates or statistics that tells us about unresolved conflicts that recurring armed conflicts that we have, that we can have a particular approach to these conflicts and resolve them once and for all. Otherwise, they are conduit for these armed groups to come in. Now, let's not forget the issue about the proliferation of weapons in Boko. Weapons have been, you know, possessed for a long time based on the aspect of self-defense. How do we ensure we get these weapons out of the system? What is the state institution doing with regards to that? Now, when you have people still holding on to their weapons, then you are, you are certain that resolution of the conflict cannot get anywhere because two sides don't trust themselves. Mm. So if they don't trust them, how can we trust the state institutions? And we need engagement more of the CSOs. We need to tackle the issue of sustained engagements. We start a process and we leave it. How do we ensure that we get to it somewhere? It won't happen. Mm. But do you get the sense that even as a country itself, are we even interested in discussions like this on this particular issue? Because most people feel that it's really far away from us. Why, why should we even be talking about it? We have, because then you're talking about security of the country. Uh, if you have insecurity, then the, the whole system cannot function. We are very much interested, but our approach, mm-hmm. our commitment to certain approaches, how are we involving the larger scale, the, the CSOs, the community, in the fight against these disputes or uh, the threat of violent extremists? We need a collective approach, we need collaboration, state institutions, services. You cannot work alone. We need all these people and then involvement in you, the media, especially on sensitization and public education. It helps a lot to get to these youths about the effects, mm. dangers of owning the weapons and joining these armed groups. A particular role women play, have mm. known to play when it comes to either education, Sensitization with regards to armed conflict or violent uh, extremism. Mm. So we are interested, but our commitment, we need to raise our commitment level in tackling these issues. Okay. Um, hopefully, we have a better connection to um, Dr. Obing, but I know there's a, a whole portion dedicated to women in this particular report that Dr. Sapoing is itching to talk about that we'll get to her on. But let me uh, stay on Zoom a while longer. Uh, Dr. Obing, so uh, this issue about the chieftaincy and long standing conflict. To the extent that if one side stands to benefit with a stronger force from these violent extremism, how then do they come forward to at least give information when it comes to the issue about community involvement in dealing with this particular issue? Uh, really, uh, tell us. I'm sure you've been uh, working it on uh, how it really works, the dynamics of this, when it comes to these chieftaincy conflicts and uh, you know, long-standing conflicts that we've seen in this country. So, um, when it comes to this, oh dear, it appears um, the sound. Okay, let's try again. Yes, let's try again, Dr. Yes. Obey. Okay, much better. Yes, is it better? Yes, okay. much better, Doc. So, 
So I was saying that when it comes to these unresolved we are concerned that other countries, these extremist groups, have back one of the parties in this country, mm. especially those who have faced historical injustice, mm. actually um, aggravate the situation. That is why it's important that we Okay. I'm sure Ian and the team are trying to, to fix that situation with Dr. Obing. I, I would beg you to hold that thought. Maybe we'll just call Dr. Obing briefly on phone. Then he can make that point briefly on the uh, chieftaincy situation while Dr. Sapong uh, takes us through uh, the role of women because it's very important. Let's talk about the role of women, at least. You dedicated a whole uh, portion of the study yes. to that. Yes. This, this study had a gender parts to it, as we have already indicated, mm-hmm. and we try to have an understanding of the role that men and women can play in terms of the house perpetrating mm-hmm. and also helping to salvage the situation. It was interesting to note that uh, women are, are, are really involved in this whole uh, act, and women were, were, were seen, and, and from our uh, informants, women were actively involved in areas such as um, serving as points of supply of weapons for these extremists. And some of our respondents indicated that they are aware mm-hmm. that women are unsuspecting. So you could have a woman having a, a weapon in the belly, not in the belly, but I in, I mean, in the, the, in the, in the <laughs> okay. cloth. And the person may be coming as a pregnant woman, and then, I mean, of the person goes. So they could, they could carry weapons on them and... One would, would think that perhaps there's a baby in there or something like that. They also provide domestic services. Mm. They can provide, they, they provide uh, food, they provide water. In some instances, they can even give you space or provide shelter. They also serve as informants to some of these extremists. They can do that because one would think that, will a woman do this? No, a woman will not do that. But on the other hand, they are also seen as peacemakers. So, for my key informants, a number of them indicated that yes, if you if if you want to have peace, or in most peace peace building approaches, women are the best. So they can be at the forefront of educating their their, their male children in particular, getting their spouses to to also understand how uh, this issue is a risky one, and they they wouldn't need to, they shouldn't uh, get themselves involved. Mm-hmm. So yes, they can be perpetrators, and in that sense, it means that. The women can support uh, extremist activities as their male counterparts. Okay. On, oh. on gender, I think okay. I want to touch on the issue of uh, uh, persons with disability mm-hmm. and their, their exposure. Okay. They were, they were not seen to be people who, who stand the highest risk to be radicalized. Mm-hmm. But there was that concern that these groups are discriminated against when it comes to, I mean, having access to basic mm-hmm. uh, services. This is, this is uh, I mean, very well known. Yes. But in a situation where we are ready to tolerate each other within uh, our communities, and we, we still go ahead and discriminate against persons with disability, it, it may not go well with us. So even in this fight, and the fact that uh, they stand at... Uh, they stand at the highest risk when it comes to the effects mm-hmm. of uh, any form of violence and the extremist attacks for that matter. And hence the need for us to take some particular attention and give some particular attention to addressing the needs of uh, persons with disability, even as we look at the subject of mm-hmm. violent extremism. Mm-hmm. Let, let me um, go on the phone. We just have a few minutes more to go. Um, Dr. Obing, thankfully, now joins us via phone. Doc, so we're making the point about uh, the role of these... Um, Protracted chieftaincy conflicts, and then the other ones that we have in the country, and it's you know the the report talks about its impacts also on uh, these violent extremist activities in this country, the potential uh, threats that they pose. You're making a point on that earlier when we lost you. Yes, yes, yes. So, so I was talking about the fact that in most of the countries where we encounter this extremist activity. It is one of the avenues that they use to actually gain community support 
to undertake their activities. Mm -hmm. So as a country, it is important that we deal with some of these threats. In fact, some um, analysts have pointed that some of the conflicts cannot be completely resolved. Yeah. Some can be managed, you know, because of how protracted and how complex those conflicts are. But I know one of the big things that I've made with regard to our approach in dealing with distancy conflicts in this country is that we tend to focus more on the security approach, deploying police, deploying the military Militia. and order. When it comes to this conflict, those actors are not trained to address root causes of this problem. The causes of this problem can be addressed through the non-military, non-securitized approach. Mm -hmm. And that is where we need to invest more in peace building, right? supporting the National Peace Council, supporting civil society organizations that have the expertise in terms of mediating and in terms of helping to deal with this uh, uh, conflict. Mm -hmm. The other issue is also how we politicize these conflicts. Mm -hmm. Most of them have not been resolved because of the political interference from both sides. You know, it makes the situation very complex to deal with and it even affects the interventions of the security agencies and also even the uh, uh, institutions like National Peace Council and the civil society engagement in such conflicts. Because see, you can't deal with distance issues with uh, deploying military or police. At best, they will provide the enabling environment for the necessary peace building activities to be undertaken. Mm -hmm. So we need to reconsider our approach in terms of dealing with this threat because they have a bearing on providing sustainable resolution to this uh, threat. Okay. And in relation to being it's important that we address this trend. Okay. Well, um, I, I'm grateful. I'm sure this is a report that uh, we'll keep on uh, discussing uh, during throughout the week. We are grateful uh, for your time, Dr. Festus Obing, and then Dr. Victor Doke. Unless you want to add something briefly to it, we are, are really running out of time, so I can give the final word to Dr. Sapo. Uh, Dr. Doke, is there anything else you would want to add? The issue about disability. Uh, people who are being discriminated against and because of that they could easily uh, join some of these groups or any other thing briefly that you want to add then we can come to the studio. Yes, thank you. We need to look at that. Um, it's one of the areas that uh, stakeholders have to tackle uh, this content. Uh, so people don't feel they have the only option is to join these art groups. And then going forward we need to have our you know, approach with regards to preventive mechanism. Let's look at the equity and distribution of natural resources and let's enhance the interagency collaborations and cooperations. Brexit, DICEC, regional peace councils, all together, TSOs media, and then we tackle the issue. Okay. Dr. Doke, we are grateful for your time. So, Dr. Sabon, yeah. let's uh, wrap it up uh, in the studio. So, this is a report. It's just about days old, I yes. know, uh, which was um, launched yeah. in Tamale uh, just uh, last week. Yeah. So, what happens next? This is a, a good report. Is it just going to gather dust? What exactly is the next line of action when it comes to this particular baseline? Okay. Study. This study is one that for the NCC is going to inform our content for public education. So we have lined out a tall list of uh, education activities that we are going to carry out, both at the community and at the policy level. So we would have community engagement with different groups. We will engage with people in school, out of school. We are going to have uh, national dialogues, mm -hmm. and we are going to disseminate this information very widely. We are also going to ensure that institutions, in fact, we are already, it's already on our website. Okay. So for our agencies, uh, security agencies and CSOs and everybody, I mean, it mentioned in this study, the, okay. the document is available. Mm -hmm. and we will ensure that we, over time, from time to time, prompt these institutions to ensure that they really make use of whatever is in there. Okay. Yeah. Well, we leave it here. We are grateful and we are always available uh, to 
helped the NCC uh, to execute this plan. We are grateful. That's Dr. Henrietta Santisapon, as she heads research and gender equity or equality at NCC. I am MFA Paul. There's more when you log on to myjoinonline.com. From the entire team, many thanks for your company. Prime Take is up next for our TV audience. For our radio audience, we have a walk with Jesus. Please do stay.